we've been at this for 10 weeks, and this is going to be the last one that we've got, so it's What's Up With Hell, um, and so we're going to go ahead and get started. So, what's up with hell? All right. Bertrand Russell, he said that anyone who threatens people with eternal punishment, as Jesus did, is inhumane. Now, Bertrand, Hustle, Bertrand Russell, he was an atheist back in the late 1800s and up to the 1920s, really probably a little longer than that. And he wrote a book, Why I'm Not a Christian. All right. And so this is some of the comments that he had. Actually, it started out as a, as a uh, kind of a speech that he did, and then they kind of turned it into a booklet, into a format of writing. And so it's a, it's, a, it's a talk that he gave, and this is kind of where these came from. But he had sat there. You know, it's always interesting that, you know, people always want to judge Jesus. But in the end, it's, it'll be Jesus that does the judging. Right? It'll be Jesus that does, does the judging. But anyway, so it's Bertrand Russell. It said, anyone who threatens people with eternal punishment as Jesus did is inhumane. Right? He also said, there's one very serious defect to my mind in Christ's moral character, and that is that he believed in hell. Which is interesting that you've got an atheist that's concerned about that. Um, but I guess maybe he's just because of Jesus' moral character, he felt like he shouldn't, he shouldn't be talking about hell. And this is a, a fact, it's, it's a factoid that's out there. A much higher percentage of people believe in heaven than believe in hell. And I guess if you probably measured those things also, those people that believe in heaven but not hell also probably are pretty sure that they're going to heaven, right? Because nobody wants to be in that other category. So what is hell, right? Hell is, right? It's a real place according to the Bible. There was some Pew research that was done. This is not in your notes. Uh, Pew research that was done in 2014, 29% of the Catholics 11% of the evangelical Protestants and 40% of mainline Protestants said they didn't believe in the existence of hell. You know, that's the church. Or at least major facets of the church are saying, yeah, we don't won't believe in hell. Despite what Scripture says, and we'll look at that. Um, so anyway, so hell, according to the Bible, it's a real place. It's a place where the wicked and the unrepented go after death. It's a place of eternal torment. And if you got a pen or anything or a pencil, circle that word torment. We're going to come back and revisit that um, a little bit later on, but that becomes an important word for a discussion that we're going to have. So just give that a circle, a highlight, or a check or something. Um, and then hell is eternal separation from God. It's eternal separation from God. C.S. Lewis, he said, The gates of hell are locked from the inside. It's real. And people actually go there, but they are there by their own consent. Hell is a place of self-exile. It's a place of self-exile. Ah, so Jesus in hell, man, he spoke more about hell than he did about heaven. Almost twice as much. Almost twice as much Jesus spoke more about hell than he did heaven. And again, a lot of that is he's wanting to warn people about the truth of eternal punishment. This is a real punishment. This is a real place. You don't want to go there. I don't want you to go there. He is warning humanity on this. And then these are the verses where Jesus talks about hell. And so we have these scattered throughout. Most of it's, uh, as you can see, it's Matthew, Mark, um, and then Luke. 
And so we get it into the Synoptic Gospels is where he's talking about that. So isn't God loving? Right? And this just comes up all the time. Well, God is, God, because God is love, he certainly wouldn't send anybody to hell. Right? He wouldn't send anybody to hell. Right? Look, God's love demands that there be a hell. God's love demands that there be a hell. Right? God is love, 1 John 4, 16. Love by its nature cannot be coercive, but it can be persuasive. Right? And it's that whole idea, if you get back to, is, you know, if you're a forced, a forced worship is no worship at all. Right? And when we were talking about uh, the problem of evil, and evil exists because of free will. Free will is what brought evil into existence, and it's that persuasiveness that exists, right? Because so you can either make that, I'm trying to persuade you to my side to believe in what I'm believing, but that's still your free will to exercise that ability to do that. If I force you to do it, that's not love at all. If I force you to worship, it's not worship at all, right? If we force you to come to the class to learn, it's not education. Love is not coercive, but it can be persuasive, right? And God of love cannot force people to love Him. We choose to accept or reject His love. Again, free will. Those who reject God's love would not want to be in His presence. Would not want to be in His presence. It's, I was going to... Uh, Frank Turk, is, uh, he wrote a book, I Don't Have the Faith to Be an Atheist, which I, I recommend, if you've never read it, I would certainly recommend you um, to read that book. But he's talking with the college student, and that's and that's this is her beef. You know, how could a loving God send um, people to hell? And of course, her words, good people to hell. And he just asked her, he said, Would you want to be with a God like that? And she goes, No, I wouldn't want to be with a God like that. And he says, Then you will get your will. Then you will get your will. Right? And this is what he's talking about. You know, you don't want to be in his presence. Those who reject God don't want to be in God's presence. Therefore, God says to them, thy will be done. God will allow you to exercise your free will as far as whether you receive him or not, but you don't get to choose your consequences. You get to choose your actions, but you don't get to choose your consequences. Right, which is just really an abhorrent idea in our postmodern society. Man, I, sh I should be able to choose what I want, and I get to choose the consequences of my actions. But that's just not the, the laws of the universe. They don't work that way. We can choose our actions. We don't get to choose our consequences. Right? Hell is eternal separation from God. Right? Timothy Keller, he says, Hell is simply one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. And if you've, never, if you've ever read any of Keller's stuff, you're like, yeah, yeah, that sounds like him. You know, he just uses words in a special way. Um, one's freely chosen identity apart from God on a trajectory into infinity. So justice, right? God's love demands a hell. God's justice demands that a hell exists. God's justice. Uh, I was just watching um, a video, and, and again, this is a term, it's been around, you know, love is love. 
was it was was it's a phrase it's, it's been around for a long time certainly back in the 80s and the 90s love is love you know we should just receive it we should just accept it but they're talking about this idea of love that it's this emotional thing that takes place it's a feeling and that's what we need to we need to base our lives on this emotional feeling right when love is actually it's a choice right you get married, you had the emotions, right? You've got, you were dating and it's just got all of these highs that go along with the dating process. And then you get married and you're like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Right? The feeling's gone. You choose to love. You choose to love. So God's justice demands a hell. God is just. Romans 2 talks much about that. Um, God is pure and holy and he cannot look upon sin. Habakkuk 1.13. There's no partiality with God. There's no partiality with God. God is judge of all the earth and he will do what is right. He will do because he's all knowing, he's all powerful, he's all loving, he's unchanging. God will always do what is right in every situation for every single person. Now, I think we recognize this, that not all evil is punished in this life. Psalm 73 talks some about that. Therefore, right, hell is a necessary place to maintain God's justice. All right, there's many things, there's many deeds that people are done that they will never be brought to justice on this earth. Never. And where's the justice in that? Where's the justice in that? And so we just have to accept it and move on, but not in God's economy. In God's economy, justice will always prevail. Whether it's in this life or the life to come, God's justice will always prevail. Questions? Okay. God's sovereignty. Right? God's sovereignty demands a hell. God's love demands a hell. God's justice demands a hell. God's sovereignty demands a hell. Right? If there is no hell, there would be no final victory over evil. There would be no final victory over evil. Right? Human depravity demands a hell. We are depraved people. We are wicked. We are evil. Right? Romans 3, 10 and 11. Right? There is none that is good. There is no, not one. We are wicked and we are evil people. But like I said, when you talk to Bertrand Russell, they would certainly, well, he's a believer now because he passed away. But anyway, it is, right? People that make these claims, they don't see themselves as a, as a wicked person or as an evil person or a person that does those kind of things that deserves that kind of judgment. And so then they cast that doubt upon God. Well, certainly he wouldn't do that to me. As one, they don't understand the wickedness of their heart, nor do they understand the holiness of our God. And so... That's, all, that's not a good place to be. The only just punishment for sin against the eternal God is eternal punishment. And again, it's just like, well, they just ate a piece of fruit in the garden. right? That's not the sin, eating the fruit. It's they disobeyed a holy, just, and righteous God. That's the sin. And so when we fail to see ourselves as sinner and as God is holy, we're always going to end up on the wrong end of that stick. We will always end up on the wrong side. Because God is eternal. Every sin is against Him. And He's an eternal God. 
And so that sin lives on eternally. Human dignity demands a hell. Right? God created us with free will. He'll not force people into heaven against their free will. He will not force people into heaven against their free will. Again, I already talked about, right? We can choose our actions. We don't get to choose our consequences. God is not vengeful. <clears throat> God does not desire anyone to go to hell. Second right? Peter 3, 9, The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. That's God's desire. That's God's heart. That's His will that He desires for everybody, but He's not going to force that on you. Nor will He force it onto anybody along that line. Again, He puts the option out there. You have the ability to choose that which is right. Will you choose that which is right? Those that don't, hell is the consequences. That's, that's what you chose. 2 Timothy 2, verses 3 and 4, This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to come to the knowledge of truth. He desires all people to come to the knowledge of truth. To diminish the importance or the place of hell is to diminish love and justice of God. To diminish the importance or the place of hell is to diminish the love and the justice of God. And clearly, man, when people, when Bertrand Russell and, and all of these other people come and they make these claims, they're diminishing these things, right? People love to talk about the love of God. They just don't want to talk about the justice and the righteousness of God. God is love, 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 love. Surely he wouldn't do that to me. Surely he wouldn't do that to me. So what does it mean to be saved? <clears throat> First Thessalonians 1.10 tells us that Jesus is the one who delivers us from God's wrath. To be delivered or saved means regeneration, God making people new through the Holy Spirit, Titus 3.5. Conversion, turning from idolatry to the one true God. Justification, being declared righteous by God through the work of Jesus Christ. Adoption, included as a rightful members of God's eternal family. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sanctification, growing in holiness. And glorification, identified with Christ or become like Christ in the life to come. And when we've gotten to the glorification, sanctification is done. It's, it's made complete. But it won't be complete until we draw our last breath on earth and we step over into the glory of heaven. Then we receive that glorification. And that's where we talk about the three tenses of salvation, right? And that's justification. That's the point of salvation, right? There's sanctification. That is becoming more like Christ. And then there's glorification, right? That's when we get to heaven and we will be made complete at that point in time. And those become the three tenses of salvation. <clears throat> uh, descriptions of hell, right? It's a place of outer darkness. It's outside the gate of the city of God, away from the presence of the Lord, outside in the darkness forever. It's a perpetual burning dump. It's a place of anguish and regret, regret, eternal separation from God. 
you know, I get this, I don't get it, the question asked often, but I get it quite a bit. And that's, you know, people say, well, if God is, we say that God's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere in all places at all times. And they said, so is, is God in hell? It's the question that I get asked. How would you answer that? Is God in hell? If he's omnipresent, he's all places, all, all times, is he there in hell? Yeah, and that's ultimately really what it does is God's wrath is in hell, but his love is not there. His wrath is in hell. It's being poured out on all those people in hell, right? But his love is not there. His love is not there. So, torture or torment, right? We come back to that word uh, from that verse, right? Some people have asked, how can a loving God torture anyone? That's how they put it. Does it torture it? Man, nowhere in Scripture does it describe hell as a torture chamber, and it doesn't use the word torture. It uses that word torment. When I ask you to circle that word, underline it, that's the word, right? When you have the rich man and Lazarus, and he looked up from being tormented is what the passage says. He is tormented. He is not tortured. All right, so what's the difference? You know, here's the verse 16, 23 through 24. And you can say, say, he lifted up his eyes being in torment. He's in torment. All right? Torture is being inflicted from an external source against one's will. Torture is what is done to somebody. All right? I'm sitting there thinking about, you know, what would be an example of that? If I was to start singing right now, right, you would see real quick, that's torture. You didn't ask for it. You want it to stop. That would be torture. Okay? That's the best example I can come up with right now. It's what's being done to you. And because I'm forcing that on you, right, no persuasion but coercion, I just continue to torture you with my singing. That's torture. Right? Torment is self-inflicted by one's own will. Right? Torture is an external act that's done onto you. Torment is something that happens internally within your soul and your spirit. The rich man looked up being tormented in hell. Man, it was an eternal torment that's taking place within his soul. Torment is living with the consequences of one's own bad choices. Torments to anguish that results from realizing we used our freedom for evil and chose wrongly. Man, everybody is going to stand before God. Every person that you ever shared the gospel with and they said no, they are going to stand before the Lord someday. And what they're going to see is, man, what they said was, was true. What they said was true. You are a holy God. And the last words, though, here would be, go away from me. I never knew you. Go away from me. I never knew you. The torment is, I could have said yes. I could have said yes. And they will live with that. And they will live with that picture, that idea of the glory and the holiness of the God of all creation. It will never leave them. It will never leave them, and they will know that. Man, the creaky floor's back again. It's... All right. Hell will last as long as God does. 
hell will last as long as God does. Hell is just. Well, it is hell just, right? How can a finite sin carry an eternal punishment? All sin against the holy God and the eternal God demands an eternal punishment. Therefore, sin is not a finite sin, but it's an infinite one. No sin is finite. They're all infinite. And only eternal punishment will suffice. Only eternal punishment will suffice. All right? God is love and He's just. Man, a loving God who does not rightly administer justice could not be called a loving God. You know, in the example here, it's, man, somebody comes in and they, they murder your son, they murder your daughter, they murder a family member. Right? They've never been in trouble before. They go before the judge in the court, and the judge says, you know, you've, you've, never, you've never done this before. I get it. People get angry, and we have some of these issues. But because I'm a good judge, I'm, I'm going to let you go. I'm going to let you go. Now, the person that just got released is going to think he's a good judge. But what about the family that suffered that loss? That's not a good judge. That is a wicked and an evil judge because justice is not served. A good God will always administer justice rightly. We good? Justice involves making things legally and morally right. Failure to do so, that's injustice. That's injustice. So, can't God just forgive everyone's sins? Can't you say, oh, come on, it's okay, it's okay. I know it was a rough life and you had things going against you and you were oppressed and all this other stuff, but can I just forgive you? To simply forgive evil apart from justice is to condone evil or to pretend it never happened. You know, evil must be dealt with. And to, to wink or nod at it or turn a blind eye is, is to do injustice. C.S. Lewis said to condone evil is simply to ignore it, to treat it as if it were good. But forgiveness needs to be accepted as well as offered if it is to be complete. It's to be accepted as well as offered if to be complete. A man who omits no guilt can accept no forgiveness. If I think I'm a good person, there's no reason for me to accept that. When I had my students go, and it was just kind of interesting. You know, I, I usually give them a question each week to go out and ask people. And so the question I had them ask was, what's, what's the grand story of the Bible? What's the grand story? What's the meta narrative of the Bible? And just about everybody, it was, it's John 3.16. It's the gospel. It's salvation. And so... I thought, well, is, is that a good answer or not? And they're like, I, I don't think so. Well, why not? Because they don't ever know about sin. They don't know about creation. They don't know about sin. They don't know about the need for redemption, so they see no need for it. Because we're always ready to jump into the gospel. Hey, look, the gospel is necessary. But until we know that we're sinners, we see no need for the gospel. 
well, that's for somebody else. That's not for me. And so when we tell the grand story of the Bible, we, we can't start at the cross, especially in a postmodern society. Right? If you're 40, 50, 60 years old and you grew up, you automatically know the context of that. If you grew up in church, man, somebody that's never grown up in church and doesn't, has never even heard the name of Jesus and you start out there, you're leaving out half the story. You know, we start with creation. We talk about the fall. And that's the need for, we need to be redeemed from our sins. We need to be. But if we don't tell them the whole story, they can't rightly receive it. Questions? All right. People who ask this question want God to hold evil people like Hitler, Stalin, Pol Pot accountable, but they want him to overlook their offenses. Right? I'm okay that you punish them, just not me, because I'm not like them. I'm not that wicked. I'm not that evil. And again, if we got to go through and try to justify our lives before the God of all creation, it's not going to end well. It's not going to end well. So universalism. Universalism is the belief that all human and angelic beings will eventually be restored to a right relationship with God. Eventually. So in universalism, you may have to spend some time in hell to pay for your punishment, but eventually that, that crime will be paid off, and then you get to go into heaven, and everybody will eventually end up in heaven. Okay? Why do some people believe in it? Perhaps the thought of men and women living in, in a life in eternal torment in hell is just too much for them. And again, I mean, I, I wish it was true that everybody did get to go to heaven. I wish it was true. It's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. Or for some, it's an overemphasis on the love and the compassion of God and the neglect of His righteousness and His justice. Again, everybody's what? We can talk about the love of God. We just leave out the holiness and the justice and the righteousness of God because that kind of messes with my worldview and then i got to think about it and, well, that hurts my brain. So what does Jesus say, right? Matthew 25, 46. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Matthew 25, 41. Then he will also say to those on the left, Depart from me, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. Universalism may be more pleasant to think about, but it contradicts Scripture. It's a contradiction of Scripture. Man, and this is huge. Universalism greatly diminishes, if not completely eradicates, the provision of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. That's, that's just massive. That if I can just spend some time in hell for the sins that I committed, I, right? I do the time for the crime, and then I get into heaven. What's, what's the point of Jesus dying on the cross? It, it serves no purpose at all. None. And so what we've said is, God, I know you did that, but you just didn't, you just didn't understand. That death doesn't mean anything to me because you know what? I'll, 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 I'll do my punishment. I, I accept that. But once it's up, I, I, I get out of jail and I get to go to heaven. We have diminished the very provision of Jesus Christ. 
Annihilationism, right? Jehovah's Witnesses believe in annihilationism. It's the belief that the damned souls are utterly destroyed rather than tormented in hell for eternity. I was having a conversation with a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses on my doorstep one day, and, and we got into this conversation about annihilationism. And this is basically what they said to me. Oh, yeah, yeah, you, you will just cease to exist. There is nothing about you that will continue to exist at that point in time. And so I'm like, so I can live any way I want. Right? I can drink, I can smoke, I can party, I can go with the girls that do all those things, right? I can just live just like a heathen. Right? Just hedonism to the end. And then God's just going to completely destroy me. And they were like, well, yeah. I'm like, sign me up. Right? Because there's no consequences to that type of lifestyle with annihilationism. There's none. Live any way you want. Yeah. Seventh-day Adventist? Okay. Okay. So we got two for sure. And so we have this idea of annihilation. You just cease to exist. A belief in annihilation results from a misunderstanding of one or more of the following doctrines. Right? The consequences of sin or the doctrine of sin, uh, the justice of God, which that goes back to the doctrine of God, and then the nature of hell. One of those three, all of those three, a combination of those three, you misunderstand what that means, and this is where you end up in annihilationism. Here's the thing is, man, life is so valuable to God. He would never just completely destroy something that he created. Even as an individual in hell, they are still image bearers of God. God would not destroy something that has that kind of value and worth. He will hold them accountable for their sins, but he would not even completely. Life is that important to God that he would not completely destroy us all. They're made in his image. So what does the Bible say? All right, John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tombs will hear his voice, and he will come forth, those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, to those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. 1 Thessalonians 1.9, uh, these will pay the penalty, penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. So arguments for the existence of hell. Hell is treated as a reality in the Bible, and the Bible is the Word of God. If the Bible's true, then hell is a real place. Jesus mentions hell more than anyone else in Scripture. If He's God, we should believe Him. Uh, the holiness and justice of God requires that sin be punished. There has to be a place for those who refuse to repent and don't want to be with God forever. There's just no other option. You get heaven or you get hell. By rejecting one, you receive the other. By receiving one, you don't get the other. The cross makes no sense if there is nothing to save humans from. 
man, if there's, if there's no hell, then what are you being saved from? And again, we go back to the death of Jesus Christ, the burial, the resurrection means absolutely nothing if there is no hell. You have to be saved from something. Questions? All right, got a what would you say video on hell, and it's going to cover a lot of this. Hopefully this will work. Nope. What's that? That's my life. This, this, this is it every day, all day long, right? Okay, so now we get, man, we have been at this for 10 weeks. We've been at this for 10 weeks. So what now? What will you do with the knowledge that you've gained? I remember when we first started out, we talked about what apologetics does for you. It'll help strengthen your faith. It'll help you defend the faith and it'll help you lead others to the faith. Has your faith been strengthened? Have you learned anything that you're like, man, this is good. This is good. I struggled with that. I wasn't sure about that. You've answered a lot of questions. That strengthens our faith. And that's a good thing. And if that's all you got out of it, that, that's a great thing. Have you learned anything that will help you defend your faith? Right? First Peter 3.15. Have you learned anything that will help you defend your faith? And then how will you use this to lead others to the faith? How will you use this? And if we just gain knowledge and we don't do anything with it, man, that's, that's a sin on us. That's a sin on us. God doesn't just call us that we can have a head knowledge. He says that puffs up. Will you use it for one of those three purposes or all of those three purposes? To strengthen your faith, to defend the faith, or to lead others to the faith. And that's what apologetics does for us. Questions? Concerns? All right, go. <laughs> so there have been a couple of different things that I have heard um, on the news, and they both had to do with um, like crime and then just the, the, the actual two different like perceptions of it, like how the family and victim felt in it. Mm -hmm.
killed all of those people. Mm -hmm. And so that he heard in court from some of his victim's families, and they were recorded, and they're playing it on the radio this morning. And one that really caught my attention was one of the women talking that said that to him, I hope that you rot in hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We don't want to know who wants you to rot in hell. And so, like, as far as Christians and where we stand and we believe, I struggle with that because even when I heard the woman say, I hope you rot in hell, I thought, that sounds so harsh to me. Like, like it's not for us necessarily to determine that. Because mm-hmm. I put myself in that position. Sure. Yeah, I do. You know, as, as far as as far as the one here in Memphis, I mean, again, because they're talking about the death penalty, but that doesn't mean. I mean, you can't life in prison. I mean, you, you there's still justice that can be served in that. I mean, you know, at what point in time, and then what requires. You know, there's all kinds of stipulations that you need to have to be able to to get the death penalty, but justice can still be served. Um, you know, the thing about it is, is typically the way law is going to work. It's the crime is committed against you, but the state actually treats it like it's it's against them. That they they will they will they get to control that whole process. Now again, could they take that into consideration? Okay, we're not going to do the death penalty, but they're not going to let him go. Well, you would hope that they would not let the person go just scot free, because clearly there's no justice done there. Uh, but they could spend eternity in not eternity, but life in prison, and that's a possibility. Um, you know, as far as the other one, um, I mean, I can say on this side saying, you know what, we should not wish for anybody to spend eternity in hell. I mean, we, we, we should not wish that on anybody. But man, I'm just, I'm just being honest with you, man, if it was me, it would only be by the grace of God that I would not say the same thing. It would only be by the grace of God that I would not say, I hope you spend eternity in hell, because that's the only thing that will truly bring justice. Um, I know what God's word says. We shouldn't desire that anybody, we should, that everybody would have that opportunity to repent and return. Again, you can do that in prison. Man, I spent a couple of years doing, not in prison, but doing prison ministry work. And man, I, you see people that get saved, their lives get turned around. And some of them are never going back. They're never going on the street again. Their ministry is inside the prison. Uh, so again, it does become that fine line, but justice will be served. God put governments in place to keep wicked people in check. God put government in place to keep wicked people in check, that they would bring justice on this earth. And again, it's what we talk about. Even if it never comes on this earth, it will come. It will, justice will come. You know, and as believers, we have to, we have to know that and then you know, man, man, when it's against us, we have to believe that and live that. Again, it's easy, again, for me to stand on this platform and say that. Um, it's hard to see somebody walk through that. Yeah, Henry.
Yeah. He, he was sitting there saying that the very saints that Paul had murdered Stephen, man, when Paul showed up in heaven, they rejoiced. And, and, and we should rejoice over that. But, that's, but again, that's see, look, when you're in heaven, you can see it from, from God's perspective. And, and again, it, it, I get it. it. Look, it is only by the filling and the leading of the Holy Spirit of God that you'd be able to do that I think, hang on, Ron, let me, I'll, I'll get back to you. You know, I think about um, that church. It was in South Carolina. It's been a few years back where, man, this young man goes in and he just shoots and he kills like eight or nine people. What's that? In a Bible study. A Bible study. Yeah, they were doing a Bible study. Hang on. And, man, the responses of those ladies was amazing. The forgiveness that they offered this young man was was God, was the Holy Spirit working in and through them. Man, the guy still, he was punished. He was sentenced. They forgive him. Hang on. Ron, you had something. I'm sorry. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, excellent point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And some sin we've used worse than others. Yeah, he doesn't. And it's usually my sin's not as bad as yours. I mean, that's usually the way we see it. Um, but yeah, I mean, so and it's that's only by the grace of God that those things happen. That's, Henry, you had something else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm, yeah. Yeah. And and again, it's only it man. It is only by God's grace that people can walk through that kind of suffering, the way they do, and we see that. Yes, ma'am. Yeah. In many cases, there's not. Again, that's where, I mean, you cannot admit your guilt, right? You could be unrepentant and you're still going to go to prison. But you're still going to face that, that punishment after that. When you leave this earth, your judgment still awaits, right? Because the judgments that we can get in our courts... It's not perfect. We know that. We get that. It's an imperfect just. It's an imperfect justice system. It's it's the best that we can work with right now with a bunch of sinful people. That's what we got. That's what sinners give us. That's what we give the world. But God's always perfect. His justice will always be right. He will not make that mistake. And that's where we we have to place our trust in the very character and nature of God. That to walk through that. And again. I, to sit there and to go through those things, I, I can't imagine it. But I know God can. Because He did. He did. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And just because you're not in jail doesn't mean you're not tormented. I mean, just because I'm not behind bars doesn't mean I'm not being tormented in my soul. And especially if you become a believer at that point in time, you you will face that torment. Henry? Could have been. I mean, you know, that's, you know, my friend Ben Taylor calls that holy imagination, but and it could be. I mean, we don't know. I mean, we could we could assume that, uh, and he would know a lot about holy imagination. But uh, never mind. Don't worry about that. <laughs> don't don't tell him I said that. Don't don't tell him I said that. <laughs> Anything else? I'm sorry. Say that again. It, yeah, it could be. Yeah, yeah, it, it could be where, you know, you spend so much time in, in hell for your, or Hades or the holding place. and But again, you know, there's no need for Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection if I just have to do my time in, in purgatory and then I, I, get, I get into heaven. And again, and to me, that, that's, that's just huge because that's really what we're saying is that we don't, we don't need that death. Yeah. Would they be what? Well, you know, one, I mean, atheists don't even believe you have a soul or a spirit. I mean, you're, you're just, you're just an animal. You don't, you react, you dance to the DNA of your, you know, of your, of your body. And uh, what's that? Yeah. Dust to dust. And you would just, you know, that's a certain Makuna Hatata, right? You just the circle of life and you would just go back and you'd become plant food. Yeah. Okay, we good? Well, it, it could be, and it comes, you know, it becomes, you know, they have no hope. I mean, when you come to that, but be, the reality is, is you're rejecting God's purpose and design. And, and beyond, if, if my destination is hell, I wouldn't, <laughs> I wouldn't want it either. But that's a choice you don't have to, you, you don't have to make that. You can repent of your sins. You can place your trust in Christ. You can live for the very purpose and design of God. And then it's not an option. It's not on your plate anymore. Because Christ took that punishment. He took that punishment for us. Um, but to do that affects how I live my life on this earth. And that means I've got to give it up. All right, and that becomes the struggle. I mean, because as Christians, man, when we become followers of Christ, we don't have any rights anymore. We've given up all of our rights. And we say, God, what you will for my life is what I will for my life. Now we we don't do that well, right? And especially especially in this whole Western idea of Christianity, man. I mean, you know, we talk about uh, expressive individualism or autonomy of the individual self, 
And it's like, we just don't want to give that up. Give me enough Jesus to save me, right? But not to change me. And that Jesus doesn't exist. That Jesus doesn't exist. We either give him our all or we give him nothing. And sometimes it takes us a while to get there. You know, that's my story. It takes us a while to get there. He's patient. He's loving. He will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you even unto the end of the age. Okay. Oh yeah, don't go there. No, just go ahead. I'll just tease. Yeah, and yeah, and, and I mean, we and we see that idea. I mean, there is this sliding scale. I mean, sin is. We say sin is sin, and sin is all sins of sin against God, and 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 that's a true statement. But we see even even within Scripture, we see there's a sliding scale, especially even when it comes to punishment in hell. I mean, there's, there's going to be some places in hell that are far worse. And again, how does that even get there? I don't know than other places. The same way we get rewards in heaven. Right? Some of us are going to get rewards that I'm never going to see. And so we see rewards and punishment. There's a sliding scale. And, and we certainly see that within our criminal justice system. And we, right? and, and we should have that. Not, not If you're Hitler and then you steal a lollipop, the punishment should not be the same. But we also have a tendency to... My sliding scale means I'm on the the less end and you're on the worst end, right? Because we are the great justifiers. We can justify anything. 
right? Kent? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, you say that, and the, and the first thing that comes to my mind is, well, what's fairness? How do you define what is fair? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, so it depends on how you define it. In my mind, fairness is getting what you deserve, whether that be good or bad. Trust me, we don't want fairness. We, that's the last thing we want is fairness. Because when we take fairness, it's like Jesus didn't need to die because we're going to get what we deserve. And again, that's that idea when God, when Adam and Eve fell, fairness was eternity in hell, that's it for everybody. We don't want that. We want grace and we want mercy. And you, man, and I, and I, I str- <clears throat> excuse me, I struggle with that whole idea. You know, man, okay, God, when do I bring the precatory prayer down on them? Bring your wrath. And it's like, do I want his wrath? Do I want his wrath? No, God, give us mercy. We deserve, we deserve punishment in hell. Please have mercy. Please have mercy. But yeah, fairness is not, we don't want that. We don't want that. Anything else? Okay. Next, uh, if you're interested, it'll be January, the I think the 11th, I think is when we start up the next semester. We'll do, huh? It'll be back in this room again. Do you, is the seating okay or would you rather be at tables? All right, we got one table. <laughs> Okay. Recliner. <laughs> Recliners and just a little cooler and some popcorn. Okay, yeah. Okay, well, it'll be wintertime, so we'll get some hot chocolate. Okay, we'll, we'll just have the room set up for tables then, which will it'll give us some, some, some liberty to do some other things then at that point in time. I'm going to pray us out if there's nothing else. Dear gracious Lord, we just thank you that, Lord, that you don't give us fairness. We thank you that you are just, that you are holy, you are loving, you are kind. And Lord, you are the God who chose salvation for us when we wouldn't even have chosen it for ourselves, not through your son, Jesus Christ. I, Lord, you are good. You are good, and we praise you and we exalt you for all that you do and all that you are continued to do. And Lord, I pray for each person here that, Father, we would, we would take the truths that we would learn, and we wouldn't keep them to ourselves, but that we would teach them. Uh, We would use them to strengthen our faith, Lord, to defend the faith, to lead others to the faith. Uh, Lord, let us us not sit on our hands and, and just with empty thoughts, 
but Lord, may we have kingdom eyes that we may see as you see and a kingdom heart that we may do as you say, oh Lord God, that, that we would be changed for your glory, that we would worship you in spirit and truth and that we would extend your kingdom everywhere we go. We love you, Lord Jesus, and it's in your mighty and majestic name we ask these things. Amen.